Hello, and welcome to Looking for the Ocean, the podcast where we talk about everything that Pixar has ever made, and sometimes we don't. I'm Mark Young, and joining me as always is Danny Vincent. And today, happy Thanksgiving, everyone, or today it's Black Friday. We are going to talk about Chicken Run because we didn't want to talk about free birds. Do you know what is incredible about us recording these episodes so closely, putting out things? Yeah. Is we can be very topical. I am thankful that it turned out that that news article about Ardman running out of the clay ended up not being there like don't worry they, they put out a statement today like don't worry about it guys we're figuring it out we're, we're trying to transition to a new supplier we appreciate the concern but do not worry we, we're gonna figure this out we're not gonna go out of business because clay doesn't exist which I'm like wow I'm thankful for that I also am very cynical about the entire outreach of like people being like oh no Ardman when I feel like most people who would be on Twitter being angry about clay being ran out has not probably watched an Ardman movie since Wallace and Gromit you could do a whole other Pixar Journey-esque podcast about Ardman because I was looking through their filmography and it's just the same as where we are now where you get up to about Flushed Away and then after that you don't watch anything else. And just like with Disney, Shaun the Sheep with is a good Pixar, movie though. Which, what, which one is? The first Shaun the Sheep is just a really great movie. I don't know. I would like to check them out. Some, I mean, I don't know what it is, but it is like the same thing that happened as we've found in our Pixar journey is once they went with a new company or in Pixar case they had a new relationship with Disney the quality of films seemed to change or at least your perception of them did and that was around the same time we all became teenagers and we stopped watching them anyway and I looked at that on the Ardman filmography and I thought oh yeah I've never seen Band of Pirates and that was the first film that Ardman made with Sony and now everything else they've made since then I think has been with Sony so far anyway unless I'm missing one or two I feel like if I was to do like a spin-off show about Pixar Journey of Ardman I would have to include Laika because they really do share a lot of directors between them. Like the new Chicken Run movies being directed by the person who directed um, oh. Paranorman. Well, that makes sense. And in general, I would just want to do like, be like with Ardman, it's like we have so little stop motion in America. I'd be like, ah, you know, we'll just watch the the, the Wes Anderson ones. We'll watch Anomalisa. We'll watch, um, we'll watch, of course, Laika, you know, yeah. throw all those in. But today we're talking about Chicken Run. Chicken Run 2000 film starring the, the voice of Mel Gibson and it's based off The Great Escape and <laughs> that was my ever that was until I got the news article this morning about Ardman like being like don't worry guys we got the clay I was like that's gonna be my opener I was like I'm so glad we get to, I'm thankful we get to take a break from talking about John Lasseter and we don't have to talk about anyone problematic now who's the star well, of this movie I mean it's a great voice performance <laughs> it's just like Kevin Spacey as Hopper you know I don't it feel it's I was great that's all. Well, it was directed by Nick Park, directed by Peter Lord. Nick Park, as I'm sure a lot of people know, is the guy that created Wallace and Gromit and Creature Comforts, and he's kind of become the representative of the Ardman visual brand through his creations. It's interesting to go deeper into Ardman's filmography and see th what other people are making, you know, throughout their history and see that they have a very, you know, pretty broad visual style, but of course, I think when you think of Ardman, you think of Nick Park and the Wallace and Gromit-shaped people, you know. Danny, your thoughts on Wallace and Gromit? I, you know, I didn't really watch the old shorts much. I think we've actually talked on the podcast before because I had just, like, they did a, around when we first started the show, they did a series of stop motion at the Music Box. And I went on my way to see Curse of the Were-Rabbit again in theaters because I remember seeing it as a kid and liking it, not really loving it. And then I saw it again recently. I was like, oh, yeah. this is phenomenal like what a spectacular yeah. film i don't think chicken runs as good as wallace and gromit and curse of the were rabbit to be honest but a part of that's also just because like come on wallace mm. he's an icon come on and gromit another icon these guys i like this is what i was gonna push back on with mel gibson like it is a great voice performance but unlike say kevin spacey in a bug's life where i think kevin spacey is clearly the best voice voice performance in a bug's life this movie also has a clear best vocal performance and it's not rocky it's um ginger it's a uh, Julia Sowala. Mm -hmm. I hope I didn't butcher her name, but I think she's she's spectacular here. Just one of those perfect voice performances that immediately makes you love the character. In addition to her animation, and the thing about the Ardman style is, it is a you actually because of how I don't want to be like everyone looks the same, but they, it is like an art style where like everyone does kind of have the same face. So it's like the voice actually to me always is a big deal in it, and that's why I'm saying. We're going to do Wall new Wallace and Gromit. It's kind of like, I know Wallace originally had a voice actor and we can always replace voice actors. But to me, unlike some other stuff, like, I don't know. It just feels weird to me to be like, we're going to continue with a different Wallace after Wallace has been the same voice for so yeah. long, you know? But whatever, you know, 
I can't I can't complain about more Wallace and Gromit too though because it's like it's Wallace and Gromit like cannot yeah. hate Wallace. Did and you Gromit. see a matter of loaf and death? No, I haven't. That's the only thing is like I haven't seen. I about to say one that you are gonna be mad. I haven't seen. I've seen. I don't believe I've seen the one with the penguin. What? I don't know which one that is. Oh is that the one with trousers or close shave? Yeah, I mean, I that's the stuff that I grew up with, and it actually kind of colors my experience of films like Chicken Run and Curse of the Were Rabbit because those films are much tamer to me and the feature length films always were a little bit scary so it's it's interesting you being like no i just immediately love these feature films when oh ooh, i did oh. not say immediately i said i immediately I, I immediately liked wallace and gromit i did i not tell you the story about this movie i ran out of this movie as a kid the pies scene freaked me out i watched fantasia mm. 2000 with my dad uh, who was in the other room with my grandma uh me and my mom's i believe stayed in the room with the rest of like my brothers i was like i cannot handle this i will go watch mickey mouse <laughs> the, the pie scene which one seem terrified me just the one where like you know they're dodging the stuff and like at the end i don't know why the what i i felt like when i was rewatching Watching this, I felt like the primal fear, and it wasn't like obviously I didn't feel the fear watching it. I was like, "Ooh, this is what like really was like the last straw to me," which is like them being slapped with a sticker of like the pies. I was like, "That's terrifying to me. Why would you? Why did you slap them with a sticker of like them being dead?" And I'm like, mm. I was just like, "I can't." And that that was it for me. But I convinced i must have seen bits and pieces of this on tv because there are stuff after that i was like oh i remember this but then it's like the climax where it's like we build a giant plane i'm like i don't remember this at all how do we not talk about in the bugs life episode this movie? so they never showed pictures of the plane that's what i feel like people must know from the from like clips of it online I, th I think the plane is iconic. I also just knew the thing was I also knew for a fact was that's after that pie scene is I knew like the entire time I was like okay yeah Rocky I remember the full poster I remember the full poster mm. of Rocky being shot out of the cannon so I'm like okay so I must have caught this on TV at some point maybe just a couple scenes but I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through until now which is funny because it's one of these movies that when I first got my letterbox I think I told you I imported all these like takes that I had and I saw that I had chicken run at like one star on the website I was like okay. Chicken run one star, and I'm like, I think maybe I've seen this mm. all, but I don't remember any of it. It's funny, I, d I do feel, even now watching it, I get a little freaked out watching the pie scene. But for me, it's when he's standing up with the pie goop on him, and it has this kind of zombie look to yeah. it. And when she's crawling after them on the plane at the end, and she's climbing up the, the line of Christmas lights, that's like That stuff freaky. is great. That stuff is so good. See, but that's what, that's, you, you like, I like, I don't like these movies, the movies as much as shorts because of scale, but I don't know. Rewatching Curse of the Were-Rabbit last year or whenever I did, and then rewatching this was I was like, the scale yeah. of this is insane. From a stop motion, as this is being like Ardman's, especially for Chicken Run, although Wallace and Gromit, I believe, is their second one, right? So Curse of the Were-Rabbit's second one. So they're both pretty darn early in their um thing, and it's like, how are they doing this sequence with the plane? It's so well animated, so perfectly done with her on like the Christmas tree lights holding on. And it's just, you're always into it just because of how yeah. great the scale is. Just really well executed on every level. I mean, the thing that is not on the Wikipedia page, but I always remember it being the argument is Chicken Run is often cited as this was the final straw for the Academy that had the Animated Feature Award. Because it was like, how can we not nominate, give Chicken Run an award? Like, that's insane that we, like, I, is Chicken Run even nominated for an Oscar? No, it's not mm -hmm. nominated for an Oscar at all. Not even for like original screenplay, which I feel like is a little bit of a surprise, mm -hmm. honestly. Because it basically sweeps all the Animated Feature Awards that are available. I think it has a very enjoyable screenplay but i don't think it takes as many risks as a best screenplay winner would get you know what i mean i didn't say it should win but i'm saying it didn't get a nom well i just mean you know like how pixar got some like toy story got a nomination you know what i mean that's all i mean like toy story one got a nomination mm. chicken run didn't i think Chick toy story one's a better film don't get me wrong but i get why people might be a little like this is the last straw we must nominate like i've had enough we must be able to give chicken run an award chicken run by the way is still the biggest stop motion film of all time it's freakish to me it's doing like gone with the wind numbers after curse of the were rabbit came out i thought curse of the were rabbit was like a huge hit but yeah yeah i mean i had the same reaction as all well, i'm saying i think actually to me I don't want to be like Mel. I think, and this isn't because of the Mel Gibson of it all, because there's no re there really is no reason to get the Mel Gibson of it all. It's it's Mel Gibson. He's everyone hates him for good reason, right? We we don't need to talk about a tangent him. for all of you. You may not be familiar with this actor, Mel Gibson. Well, a little biography. <laughs> no, you're you're already giving me a look like you don't like this bit. So anyway, back to the his performance <laughs> in Chicken Run. 
Well, I don't even want to talk about his performance necessarily. I actually think, to me, this is lesser than Wallace and Gromit because I feel like he's there to make it more palatable to American audiences because there's really no reason his character should be an American. Something about that rang true to me. And I don't think that... that... I, I mean, it's just like... What? What's the most outsider-outsider that you could bring in, you know? I don't think it's... It doesn't... I'm just saying it's not like pure pandering, no, even though I, it probably is, you know? I, I don't think he totally meshes with the mm. humor of this movie I do like. Even though he is funny at points, I just think I'm much more into like ginger's dry humor or <laughs> the thought I had doing this is this is not me asking for a live action remake of this movie okay I do not want that but the entire time I was watching it I was like dang I feel like every male character in this movie besides Rocky which granted is only like Mr. Tweety and the grandpa is like this would be Mark Rylance in the live action <laughs> remake <laughs> like I could see Mark Rylance doing a dual role as the rooster like the old rooster and yeah. as Mr. Tweety and I was just like imagine going you know, I I, can't, I I wish I had a good Mark Rylance impression, but like Mark Rylance, if you know him, has just a very distinctive like oh, mumbly British voice. Yeah, I can't. I don't have one. Like his BFG mm -hmm. voice for. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Or even like his role in Don't Look Up, where he's like bizarrely like, oh, all right, guys, let's do this thing. And he's like has like attempted American accent yeah. and it doesn't work. But anyway, they both gave me strong Mark Rylance vibes. Where I was like, cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> Did you recognize some of the other like voice actors in this when you were listening? Because I didn't. And then I looked them up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is everybody. I was like, Timothy Spall's in this? Wow. And I didn't realize yeah. Molda Staunton was in it. I was trying to figure out who Mrs. Tweety was, and I'm like, I don't know who this is, you know? She played Rita Skeeter in Harry Potter. Uh, Miranda Sanderson, I think is her name. But yeah, that's her. And then it's, I haven't seen the we movie. We all know on this podcast that I love Harry is Potter. That... I watch Harry Potter. Well, I don't actually know what your opinion is of Harry Potter movies are. I, are we serious? We've never talked about oh, this. Oh, maybe you said them. that before. But like, that's, I mean, I don't know if it came out or not. But that's so interesting because like Wallace and Gromit, Harry Potter, for whatever reason, the youngish adults in my life were very into Britain when I was younger so I was uh, exposed to all of these things and like Monty Python too and just all kinds of British things were part of my childhood because I guess I had people that were into that to defend thing. the honor of the British Isles in their exports they weren't all from Joanna right like we had Peter Pan movies we had other British you know what I mean like, like I don't want to be like we had no I watched Narnia you know like well, yeah but like it was not the only time I, I was confronted with British accents was and now 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 my pitch for the live action week by the way because it just popped in my head because I said Narnia is like alright so obviously Mr. Tweety's got to be Mark Rylance and we got Tilda as Mrs. Tweety like come on like you just you just get Tilda honestly just put Tilda Swinton <laughs> in every role right it's just it's just a two person show of Mark Rylance and Tilda Swinton and Mark Rylance is trying to be Mel Gibson I love you know I didn't even get it until recently my girlfriend and I are kind of doing like a small ish rewatch of every short film where Tilda Swinton plays like a billion parts and I don't know I just had I, I thought she was just this art actor that came out of nowhere one day and now i'm getting woke to her her chops and in the past and also like how young she is that is a surprise to me but yeah i love i love all the voice performances what are you thankful for them i'm thankful for tilda swinton are you a fan of the killer thankful i am thankful for tilda swinton and no i'm not a fan of the killer. <laughs> you're like nominate tilda swinton for the killer I mean, since you mentioned nominate, because this is what I kept almost saying, well, now you, now you let me into it, is uh, I stick by Mark Rylance. Should have been nominated for Dunkirk. That's his best performance. Mm -hmm. He's so good in Dunkirk. Great movie in general, but Mark Rylance is the best performance in that movie and yeah. a movie full of great performances. And it's just, he's just a great performance by being Mark Rylance in that movie, too. I love performances like that where it's like, ah, yep, there's Mark Rylance doing his Mark Rylance thing. He doesn't need to be like, mm, have you ever wondered how to eat somebody? Oh, oh my gosh, is he in that movie? I would watch that for yes. that he's really he, i think he's really great in it other people hate him in it uh i think he's really great in it just because the movie becomes fascinating when he's in it it's not like he's giving a good performance but it's something where he's just like huh okay so luca guadagnino is just like yeah I, do you think mark do, do whatever you want mark Rollins. you got an oscar i don't know that i can't i love you. that but i'm want. also i'm also like a legit <laughs> fan of brendan fraser's scene in killers of the flower moon i don't know if it's a big spoiler but the way the way he does that i don't know if it is like correct but i i love seeing it the girth. There. he does have he has that girth which is a martin scorsese yes, quote. we're not being problematic we're, we're quoting yeah 
Mr. But Scorsese. I don't know. If you haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon, it's great. And then also the way Brendan Fraser does his lines is like a treat. I just am entranced by that. But anyway, Chicken Run. Everyone, by the way. Why does everyone? Oh, well, I can't that's get my, walk. That's my recommendation. I can't go down that path again. Anyway, everyone loves the holdovers. That's what I hear. Um, and you know, but yeah, another great film. You get to see every actor in Britain doing voice roles here. And oh, and we didn't mention I haven't actually seen Quadrophenia, but uh, Phil Daniels was the lead of that. He's the other rat that's not Timothy Spall. And then the guy that plays the Grandpa Rooster is also in that movie. I would say Timothy Spall is the most famous of these people, really, and I do not recognize his voice. I think Imelda Staunton. Well, that's a, I think Imelda Staunton yeah. is, too. I, I mean, I don't, yeah. you wouldn't really recognize Timothy Spall's voice. He doesn't have that kind of... I mean, I don't know. His most famous role to me, because I don't watch Harry Potter, was in Enchanted, where he played, like, the, you know, butler animated character. So in that case, in that movie, you know, you are really paying attention to those, those voices of, like, Amy Adams, James Marsden, because... Mm -hmm. Then you're connected right. tissue to that upper So, in, in Chicken Run, when, in watching this movie, did you first get hype? Because I got hype from the very beginning with the music over the DreamWorks logo. I love the music in this movie. Maybe it's just because I don't... It's so interesting to see the DreamWorks animation uh -huh. logo before Shrek. You know, because Shrek just completely overtakes of the... On, like, any movie. So it's like, here's what DreamWorks was before Shrek. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not the music. I think the score in this movie is brilliant. I love it, and it's kind of the same thing with Wallace and Gromit too. Like, I I haven't seen Chicken Run enough that I can't I can't hum it. You know, with Wallace and Gromit, obviously I can go like do 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 do. But I'm sure if I watch Chicken Run like three or four times, like if Chicken Run became a yearly movie, I'm willing to bet by like year three yeah. I'd be able to hum the whole score. You, you know, it's just that type of great score. Or even like you know when. Whenever I watch the sequel, I might be able to, like, because I assume they're going to bring back themes. I'll be like, ah, the Chicken Run mm. score, you know? Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I just like it because I haven't but, heard, like, I don't hear a lot of fanfares in movies because I don't, I don't usually go out for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it is nice just in a comedy like this. And even in the Wallace and Gromit shorts, that's what I like, too. It's like, it's this little domestic thing, but you have this big, happy march going on. That's really exciting. I actually had this thought that's kind of unrelated to this film itself, but talking about scores. When this came up in the score, and like, the score is so big and bombastic, and I think about how, you know, scores today really aren't... It's So here's the thing. The reason we can talk about it here now with Pixar is because I think Pixar scores are their own category. You know, like, I went to a wedding this weekend, they played Married Life at one point, right? It's it's They're just kind of like, oh yes, the Pixar score, they're always going to put some effort in the scores, oh, but man. it's not like a DreamWorks score, right? It's not like you tracking my no. You, I think this makes sense. You know what I mean? They're not gonna like puncture their score with okay. pop music. That's all I mean, really. Whereas like every other studio will at some point. Even like for DreamWorks, and this is one I'm gonna point out is like a great score. How to Train Your Dragon. They still have like mm. some Jonesy songs in there too. You know, with Pixar, maybe Rainy Newman sings once. Or did you, Sarah McLachlan? Did you catch this is the same guy that did How to Train Your Dragon? Yes, that's what I was building up to. Is that I listened to this? It's it's. Well, it's not just him. It is... Um, it's like him and another DreamWorks guy. Harry Gregson Williams, and then John Powell with it. And I saw that for the sequel, it's just Harry Gregson Williams coming back because mm -hmm. John Powell is semi-retired. I believe he only did recently... Dra I think he only did Dragon 3, and um, and then he got asked to do Souls of Star Wars Story by... Um, fun story there, I've heard, which is... It's, it's from one of my insider friends. They told me this years ago, is that John Williams was pissed off with the Rogue One score uh, with Giacchino to the point where they're like, all right, so then who do you want for Solo when he handpicked mm. John Powell for it? Which makes sense, because the Solo score is really great. What did he not like about Rogue One? That, that, not a Giacchino fan? It's a little... It's a pretty... It's not even... This isn't an inside thing. Get, that was a rush job for Giacchino. He was hired like a month and a half before release because Alexandre Desplat was hired to do it, and they just kicked him off because it wasn't fitting with what oh. they wanted from Star Wars. And it was like, okay, well, get Giacchino because he's going to give you... And I... Giacchino, I think I might have talked about this on the show before, but I can talk about it. I've talked about it on Why Is... Because he does the same thing with Sp his Spider-Man thing, where his Spider-Man theme starts with, um, da-da-da. It starts with, like, you know, like how da-da-da-da-da-da does whatever a spider can. But his, in his, his thing is, like, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. And I'm like, stop it, stop it. Just give me the Spider-Man theme. Don't, don't, don't mess around with it. And he does the same thing in um Rogue One, where he'll open the movie with, like, da-da. And then it'll be, like, 
dun dun dun. I don't know. He he just goes off. He, he gives you that very beginning and then becomes something else. And what it becomes, I've actually grown on Rogue One a lot since it first came out. Because mm -hmm. I remember hating the Rogue One score when it came out. But there's a lot of stuff yeah. in that third act that really works. But he never implements the main themes, which I think might have annoyed John Williams. I think also the thing is, is that it very purposely is kind of, I don't know what the word is. I want to say atonic, but that's not a word. It's very purposely, though, aiming not to sound like Star Wars while also being in Giacchino's style, which is very Williams aping. Whereas I think, you know, we talked about before, Giacchino's best non-Pixar mm -hmm. score is probably Star Trek, right? Or maybe the Apes movies, but the Star Trek theme is something that like is very humble, like the... I don't know why it's not in my head right now, but like, yeah. or also, you know, the Batman, like those are all Is very humble the, themes. The Batman, um, the Batman, the Matt Reeves Batman. Dun, yeah, the dun, 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 yeah, dun, yeah, yeah. dun, 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 yeah, dun, yeah. dun. Okay, I, <laughs> like no, that, I just had thing. to, yeah. But my point here is that I was trying to make here is it's really interesting to look at this movie and How to Train Your Dragon and Kung Fu Panda and even like stuff like, you know, Shrek. Like, you think about Shrek, as a kid, you really just think about the soundtrack. But now when you think about Shrek, I do just think of the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, all these movies have a very distinct score. And a part of it's because, like, you know, Shrek, how to Shrek, not, not with Chicken Runner, Wallace and Gromit necessarily, but these are all, like, franchises, right? I even think about, like, there was a time in middle school where my middle school orchestra would always do the main theme from Madagascar, which is, like, this Zimmer track that's very, like, I can't hum it right now, but, like, when they played it, I was like, oh, duh, of course that's Madagascar. You know, and it's something where it's really interesting because I feel like you listen to like dramas at the time, right? You listen to these other things. They don't get to play around in that space that you expect more from like 80s and 90s stuff where it's like very much people are no people know John Williams is the best, right? And they're like, mm -hmm. let's just try to be John Williams. And it's so interesting because you can even point to John Powell, right? Because John Powell, brilliant composer. As I said, handpicked by John Williams to be his successor on Star Wars, although now they've moved on to Ludwig. And um, uh, who else? Uh, Nicholas Bertel on Andor, both of who give great uh, scores on those shows. I look at um, John Powell at the same time as he was doing, um, you know, the stuff of um, these, these animated things. He did also like the Jason Bourne movies, which are just noise. You know, that's just mm -hmm. noise in the background. It's fine noise, but yeah. it's whatever, you know. And it's like when he gets to do an animated movie, he can go ham on like, here's things like, you know, here's some themes, have some fun with it. And it's something where we don't get to talk about this a lot because even though we talk about these scores at Pixar, I think Pixar very particularly, unlike these other movies, they're they're using their music to make you cry, if that makes sense. Shrek is not trying to, Chicken Run is not trying to make you cry. But there's these really fun, jaunty scores that feel like they could be straight out of like, not Star Wars specifically, but like, maybe like John Williams Superman, you know? Like, it's playing in that mm. same realm of playfulness that yeah. you don't get at Pixar. And you get that from How to Train Your Dragon. You get that from Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. You get that from all these other It's films. kind of like... And that's what I was thinking when I saw John Powell's name in the credits. I was like, ah, John Powell in animation. Great. I know this is going to be good. It's kind of like towards the Danny Elfman end of the spectrum while, you know... Definitely thinking also to give some credit. Some of those 2000s... I say 2000s, not anymore. But like around Chicken Run's time, like Spider-Man. Danny Elfman Spider-Man theme. That that score is like, or even for Hans Zimmer, who you know is often given like this guy's garbage. Although granted, I've heard that I'm about to say Pirates of the Caribbean, and I hear that's actually mostly done by Klaus mm -hmm. Bedelt, I believe. Klaus Bedelt. But you know, like those movies, and I thought it, there is a point to be made here that we are. I'm coming from a place of bias. Like these are the things I'm nostalgic for. I've seen these movies as kids, but I also like you know, I think you play the Pirates of the Caribbean theme, everyone knows it. You know, you play the Spider-Man theme, the original Spider-Man theme, everyone knows that one they don't know the andrew garfield one or the tom holland one you know i think the only we've talked about this on my marvel podcast the only modern theme i'd say in the last 15 years that really resonates with an audience is new that isn't like race theme from force awakens is the avengers theme and that's just because marvel blares it whenever they can which is fine it's yeah. a good theme you know but that's, like i can't think of another yeah. strong movie score let me rephrase a strong movie score that's iconic to people oh you know it's another one actually to be fair I think there are some tracks from Interstellar and Inception mm -hmm. that people really know. Um, but that's yep. also because Nolan is Nolan. And I think Ludwig did play the strings very well earlier this year. I think Oppenheimer is going yeah. to become an iconic score. Well, I, so this is a brilliant score. This is a brilliant score. score. <laughs> this movie is a brilliant score. I wanted to talk about the structure of this movie. Because for me, it is almost a perfect film. There are things about it that frustrate me. Like, I don't know if whatever it is in the performance or the way it's written, I think that the film falls just short of being perfect for me in the way the characters behave. Because it seems like, uh, what's his name? Mel Gibson. It seems like his Rocky. character. Rocky, Rocky. thank you. 
it seems like his character should admit immediately that he can't fly and yet this so I'm, I'm making a big leap here in our conversation i'm but like that's my one issue with the film is you're good i just no no, no you're fine i'm just like so that's that's my big issue with the film is that i don't know if the benefits that he receives from being in the chicken coop are good enough for him to pretend to be this like you know go-getter flying chicken guy you know I think it's one of those things where, like, the film is kind of hamstrung by its setup, right? Where it's like, well, we can't reveal that Rocky is not a flying chicken for the kids. Because I actually do think the way that reveal is framed is meant to be like, oh, yeah. Because even if you do know, because I think watching this, I knew what it was. But I, I realized when that reveal was done, I was like, no, you know what? It's fair if he's, like, a circus animal. He could very well just be a flying rooster. Like, that is that is a novelty that he could very well be. Even if the movie, you know, hints at it beforehand, I do think the reveal of it is well done. Even if you know you go into it knowing what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean it has it has that quality of a farce sometimes, where it's like, well, why don't they just tell each other what's going on? Well, I also think to me the issue more is I don't buy that Ginger and Rocky have anything yeah. for each other. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's just you know that's the problem we talked about before with a lot of these uh these movies of our youth where it's like well there's a guy and a girl and they gotta be together especially when like it, it, and it goes all the way back to like i'm gonna say his girl friday but even longer than that where it's like there's this hyper competent woman and then this guy who's kind of a sl schlub who means well that's not his girl friday the guy in his girl friday is very useful but you know what i mean like there's a schlub who's very like he's he's nice and it's like well they deserve to be together you know and it's like but do they Dude, like, what, what does Ginger see in this guy other than it is a male figure that's her age? Which I guess is fair, but the movie well, doesn't play yeah, into I mean, that, he tried you know? to save her one time, but, I mean, she ended up saving him, so it is kind of unclear what the attraction yeah. is there. But, I mean, I don't know. That's I think that's kind of an interesting mystery, is why we find certain people attractive despite their schlubbiness you know and let's not let's not like yes. i'm not even saying that's like a me or a you thing that's just something i've like observed in the world where people are like did you see that video today that people are like oh isn't leo so hot because he's on set like like razzing everybody about the tornado that's coming down on or were you not like on twitter today okay this is me being weird mark I think we've covered once on this podcast. Are you not on that, Twitter? Um, I don't know if you're aware of this. Not a big Twitter guy. No, no, no. Um, that Twitter isn't real. Twitter. Remember, you told me this. We went to that, like a three-hour episode where you kept convincing me Twitter's not real. I don't remember that. Anyway, I'm saying I just. You were like tweets okay. aren't real, Danny. I just I don't know. I kind of went on a little tangent there, um, or I went on a little digression or whatever. But anyway, what I'm saying is like I love this movie because it seems near perfect to me in its construction like everyone is just dumb enough to not ask certain questions the pace is quick enough so it doesn't seem like people have enough time to reflect on what's going on and that that all oh, that all seems important for me with this story about a case of mistaken identity and i think the film pulls it off really well and i think the real thing it needs to because the thing is this is a movie and this is a lot of Ardman stuff, right? And this is fine. Like, it's their humor. Ardman kind of fills their movies always with idiots, right? And that's what makes it enjoyable. Like, Wallace and Gromit are still aware of it. Every character in the movie is an idiot except for Gromit. Mm -hmm. And Gromit can't talk, right? And Gromit also has kind of a goofy personality. He gets mm -hmm. to show off some kind of times. Meanwhile, in this, I think Ginger, you know, is our Gromit. But the thing is, Ginger is both very funny and she is a little ignorant. Like, she is a little dumb. But, like, not, like, in a very likable way. Like, in a very, like, plucky... Well, but she's trusting. You know, if you if you were, like, in that position, you have to, like, well, I can't identify this character as dumb. I think you'd... She, yeah, she's not dumb. She just believes that Rocky would be telling yeah. the truth. Because why would Rocky not yeah. be? You know? I don't know. I think Ginger is really just a great character. That's the thing to me. It's like, wow, what a, what a, what a nice movie where it's, like, there's all these wacky characters, and then our main character is actually the most likable character. Because it's so... There are so many movies where it's, like, it's like that, and your main character is, like, a blank slate that's bland. And it's like, no, I do like Ginger. I'm rooting for her more than anyone yeah. else in this movie. I love that she's, al she's allowed to be, like, complicated, and I love that we get to see that from her. We get to see her rally people and then break down herself. And then, you know, she does trust Rocky a little too much. And it's just, I see, I see why in the little notes at the bottom of the Wikipedia page, this is, they said that people use this movie as an example of like a feminist film. 
and I think there is, you could have a very interesting conversation about that, but I definitely see that in Ginger, who seems fully a person. I feel like I also hear often the talking point, and someone was saying this to me literally right before I watched the, is that this is a movie that teaches socialism, and I gotta say, I kind of watched that with this, that in mind, I really... I don't mean blunt, like rude to these people, because you know what you get out of movies, what you get out of the movies. But I really don't see it personally. I really. There is actually one moment that stuck out to me that I thought was a very interesting thing that they kept in, and that is when the um, they're like Rocky's about to train all of the chickens, and he's like, "I'll be your leader." And everyone's like, what does that mean? And he's like, that means everyone has to do what I say. And then there's a cut to Ginger going like, Rrr. and I thought that was really interesting to have in there because it's not like, it's not like big joke. It's, it's more like a foreshadowing of why Rocky is not to be trusted. But I don't know. I think that's, that's intriguing that the film is like, because Ginger would never take the lead. Right. Well, I guess so. Leader, it's just right? interesting that the film had a moment of, questioning hierarchy in favor of collectivism but then the rest of the film doesn't exactly follow that because it like obviously ginger is the leader and you know you need everyone to get out of the pen uh, to get out of the chicken farm but it's not like there's a scene where people are questioning ginger's authority um, I mean, I, I don't know any, any more, no, no one corrects Ginger with an idea that's, that's actually right. You know what I mean? Everyone's just like, oh, you said this would work and it didn't. Now we're going to have our fight scene. And this is the pit of despair in the script, you know, but none, none of the other chickens comes up to Ginger and is like, you're wrong. Here's a better plan. You know, Ginger is actually, as far as I remember, is always yeah. correct. Can I talk about the okay. one scene in this movie I hate? The scene I hate in this movie is I feel like this is this is it's a bit of a there's a lot of stuff in this movie where there's a joke in here that people always quote that I feel like it's not even that they quote it. I think other stuff has copied it and this isn't what I'm gonna complain about but there's like a joke where it's like my whole life flashed before my eyes it was I don't know why I'm making your Scottish I don't that's, think it's a Scottish character who does that's it. not a I'm, Scottish Merida just appeared but it's okay unlike the uh, Scottish life, character I know it's not a Scottish um but my whole life flashed before my eyes it was really boring and that's like a joke that's been ripped off everywhere I thought it was funny I don't not that's not my issue with the movie my issue with the movie is there's a stock beat in the third act where. The um the grandpa character, the dad character, is like, so who's gonna fly the plane? And we're like, you were gonna fly the plane. And it's like, what do you mean? Why would I fly the plane? I was the mascot. I don't know how to do it. And it just now is being brought up in the third. I'm like, oh that, yeah, that, that that I really rolled my eyes at that. I was like, come on. And they're, and they're like, and it literally is just like they're like, come on, you can do it. Okay, I guess I'll try. And it's like, okay, so why do we even need this beat? If it was like Ginger had to fly it, sure. Or if someone else had to fly it, sure, have this beat here. But if it's just like giving him the motivation to do it because he was actually the mascot, you could have solved that and put that not there. It was not a needed beat. And it really bothered me that it's like, he doesn't need that moment. Yeah, and he's, it also contradicts his character. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't need that moment. The character's already very cool and likable. And... He can be like, I don't know about this, guys. I was just the mascot. It doesn't need to be like this grand well, reveal you know, thing. You know what I mean? I feel would, like it's something where, yeah. They should it, all know he's not in the RAF. I don't know if they know what the RAF is. I think that's a weird moment, too, where they're like, what is the RAF? And he's like, you've never asked that before in like the years that you've known each other? Um, oh, I, I don't know. I don't mind that. I, I feel like it's something where it's like, I can't think of like a similar comparison in the U.S., but it's like I'm in the the I don't know, but you I, I kind of get it. I, it's like There's... this is the HMS uh, this is the HMS Pinafore. What does HMS stand for? Like, do they say that in the HMS Pinafore? I don't think so. We... Like, no one cares. You know? <laughs> like, it's just oh, there's just initials, you know. I don't know if we have like fun acronyms anymore. My my brain immediately went to like the women's auxiliary committee or something, and it doesn't exist anymore. We just we just had a lot more fun acronyms. I'm on the PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson. No, the parent-teacher organization. Oh, oh no, Fox, I thought Fox. you were a Paul Thomas Anderson expert. So sorry, Who will lead our discussion for him now? Do you think there was ever a moment where they wrote the scene this way, that he goes ahead and he's about to pilot the plane, and then Ginger comes up to him and she's like, "What? what's, what's wrong, boss, or whatever his name is, and he's like, Oh, nothing. Nothing's wrong. Everything is okay. And then he's he like doesn't know how a plane works, 
and then Mac is like explaining it to him or something like that. And then, you know, maybe this should be a scene between him and Mac. So he like Mac is teaching him how to use the plane. And then it's just a little moment with him and Mac where he's like, I was never in the RF. I was just one of their mascots. And then she's like, oh, well, we have to fly this plane. And that's like, I don't know. Isn't I don't know. I think that'd be rough too. I, I think all you really need from them to do is be like, I be like, are you ready to fly it? Yes. Or like the, the scene, the, the thing of it is like, I'm a, like, you know, a map or maybe I think the issue might even be like during that montage of them building it, it should come up. Like, who's going to fly the plane? And it's like, of course it's going to be you. And he's like, well, I'm not sure if I know how. It's like, Max, like, I'll help out. And just have that be part of the montage. So that way, when it's finally it's time to fly the plane, they're like, he's like, I don't know if I can do it. And everyone's like, don't worry, you can. Like, we believe in you. Okay. Like, leave it at that. Don't be like, I was just a mascot. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm bringing this up now. And I'm just like, all right, well, they might not know this, but I think everyone watching the movie knows that you obviously have not flown a plane because this movie takes a pretty, like, about as realistic a position they can about these talking chickens Mm -hmm. trying to break out, right? Like, it's still a goofy Ardman world, but it's not like they can talk to the humans. Although, do they talk to the humans at the end? I'm not, I don't think they do. It just kind of feels like they're talking to each other when they're talking to Miss Tweety. I'm unsure. I can't remember. I don't. Yeah, I don't think they talk to the humans. It's just kind of, it, it kind, of, it kind of, you know, it's that trope where they suddenly become aware that the chickens have this technology, but I don't think they actually talk to them. It's very ratatouille, in that way. I do want to say, for the record, I think this is much better than A Bug's Life because the ending is kind of similar with the plane thing, and I think this movie is. In general, I enjoy this more than A Bug's Life. They also end up on the Bug's Life island, which I think is really funny. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's another beat that kind of gave me pause, but I was like, you know, I think it's okay if you do... When they offer the eggs to the rats. No, I love that. Like, take our children. I love that, actually. (laughs) And I love... I love I love that they have to use the eggs as weapons at the end, and the rats are crying about it. It's like the best... It's the best fucking thing ever. I mean, I actually really love, I like that that to me is like the rats have kind of a very quiet arc where they're there at the end. They're like, no, we actually do want these chickens to get out. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, it's like, why do they get an arc? It's amazing. But there's that, there's a cliched line at the end where Ginger and Rocky are in the plane and she's like, smacks him and she's like, that's for running away. And this is for coming back. And then she goes in to kiss him, but then something else happens. And I was just like, oh, man, I know people hate this kind of thing. But if you just like, if you keep having a great movie around it and then you just keep switching the animals around, I don't know if I'll get tired of that. That's a really like funny, fun thing to me. My favorite thing I don't think they really draw attention to that's a just a quick sight gag that had me giggling is when they're all pedaling on it and that. Uh, the chicken that like knits is just kind of bouncing up and down knitting on her chair she's not helping at all oh, man. <laughs> and i like that gag a lot i didn't even i would have to go back and re-watch it there's it it really is like this movie is a spectacle even though it's so low budget it it, it is very in a way i i'm glad we picked this because obviously the thanksgiving connection it's is, about you know it's about chickens eat. turkeys yeah. you know it's food yeah, but I also am like watching this is very interesting because you know I always point to like, um, and obviously this isn't the first ever stop motion feature length mm-hmm. film ever made, right? But you know I always be like toy compare Toy Story to Snow White and Toy Story is so much better. And with Chicken Run, it's like I still think Toy Story is better, but the competition yeah. is much closer, you know. And I say even though obviously this isn't a new medium, I do think Ardman kind of did make their own genre of in this space. Of like you know like they made they pretty much made like what we think of like when we think when we think of stop motion we think of either Henry Selleck and that type of style we think of the Rankin Bass style mm-hmm. or we think of Ardman right because uh, I think Leica does fall under like that Tim Burton yeah. like Henry Selleck thing you know um, and then obviously the Wes Anderson stuff falls under Rankin Bass and then it's just Ardman which yeah. is like claymation which I mean there is other claymation but yeah. Ardman is the most popular. Um, this is me being like, I'm an animation scholar that's <laughs> never studied stop motion. I think Ardman is revolutionary. But I do think, you know, Ardman had been around for years at this point. So they're being like, this is our Ardman feature film. And it's an original feature mm-hmm. film about chickens. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's see yeah. how this goes. And you see it and you're like, oh, 
great, great first attempt. Like, honestly, in a lot of ways, people will point to this. Even though I like Wallace and Gromit 4, there's an argument this is a much bigger achievement. Not only because it's their first one, because it's original, right? It's not like we have these pre-existing characters. It's like, these are some chickens. Have your fun with it. I think it's just interesting also to watch it because I don't know when Shaun the Sheep was created, but I feel like Shaun the Sheep has so much in common with mm -hmm. this, like, in theme. Um, and I really like Shaun the Sheep a lot. Uh, I think Sean the Sheep is so cool. Oh, well, Sean the Sheep was in a close shave. So, yes, of, co of course he's in a close shave. Uh, I think I have seen a close shave. I don't think I've seen the wrong trousers. Man, you gotta watch the wrong trousers. The sound effects in the wrong trousers pop into my head sometimes. You have to watch the yeah. Sean the Sheep movie. I also gotta say, you know, we, we talked about this in the Creativity Inc. episode, how, like, how kind of sad it was that Disney went away from hand-drawn. But I do think it's much more sad to point to Aardman doing Flushed Away in Arthur Christmas. <laughs> because to me, it's like, why would I ever watch an Aardman movie that's CGI? Why, why is there a Chicken Run video? Why is there a Wallace and Gromit, like, series of point-and-click adventures? you don't want to hang out with them. I, you know, I'd have to, like... I mean, that's true, but I just, like, I want to, like... I, well... If Ardman was to do CGI again, then he would go like Spider-Verse, right? Like, at least fuck up with the frame rates, please. Like, make, make, you know what I mean? Like, give me that vibe I think at least. Pirates is CGI. I mean, no, I, th I think Pirates is stop motion. No, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I think, they, I think they kind of went it back. stop motion. I didn't say Pirates. To, um, yeah. Um, but did. I mean, well, I don't know. Flushed Away was on my cabinet in my uh, shelf as a child and i don't have bad memories of it i always think about flushed away in a happy car which was the nickelodeon magazine parody of it where it was like look at all the movies that came out this year as one big movie a happy flushed car. away in a happy car and that was the whole joke what was was that like so it was flushed away in a happy happy feet car oh, was Cars. this like a mad tv joke it was like Nick, the nickelodeon magazine yeah Flushed away in a happy car. I want to see if the internet remembers this at all. It does not look like mm. it did. It does not, yeah, it does not look like it did. This is gone. This is lost media. Someone scan it. Just kidding. I think I <laughs> might have it in my room. Maybe I should scan it to society, the internet. Be like, look at this mm. lost media I found of the Nickelodeon magazine yeah. parodies. Of but, well, I, I mean, <laughs> and I can't speak to the quality of Flushed Away now. But even though it's CGI, I still think that this movie has, like, to me, maybe, I think maybe genius is the wrong word here, but this, it's like slapstick needs to be organic and logical, and because it does that so easily, it's like, I, th it's, that's my favorite thing. Like, just, even, even a very simple joke like who couldn't think of this joke when ginger hands mac the drawing when they're waiting in roll call and uh mac is like oh is this the new plan oh i thought we'd already gone we'd already tried going under and then she reaches back and flips the paper upside down and then is like oh over like it's like ah uh, there's there do you not find this like so beautiful when something like that works out like that, I think it's a very, mm -hmm. I think it's a very funny movie. Um, uh, there's a re I hate to quote a review on Letterbox, but I'm gonna do it because I this this is like this has been the top review on Letterbox since I've like had a Letterbox, right? And I had forgotten about because I'm all I don't know I don't want to say like I'm always on the Chicken Run page because it's not like I'm obsessed with checking the Chicken Run reviews, but it's come across my like yeah. Letterbox browsing, you know. And I had forgotten about this joke. And it made me laugh in the movie, and I was like, I've read this joke so many times on the letterbox page, and it's made me laugh anyway. And the joke is like, uh, when Ginger says, when there's a will, there's a way, and Rocky says, and I will be leaving this way. And that's like the joke, the, and I was like, that's a good, like, it is yeah. a good, like, a little clever humor. Um, yeah, it's just, it's full of clever stuff. It's something where, I feel like Armin's sense of humor is just so hard for me to, like, single out good jokes, because it's just, it's kind of like one of those things where it's constantly barraging you. But not like when you're watching like a Phil Lord or Chris Brown movie. It's like you're constantly getting jokes thrown at you, but they're mm -hmm. all subtle, dry jokes. And occasionally you're gonna like really laugh at one of them, but usually yeah. you're just gonna be smiling yeah. the whole time. And that that's my issue with like really like ah uh, it's something where I have a bad habit where I've seen the Shaw on the Sheet movie like three times and I've only ever like given it on Letterboxd like a three and a half, but I'm also like I can recognize this as like a movie that's way better than my mind is letting it be for me just because I cannot ever get like fully locked in on it. Because I feel like if I could just completely lock in on the Shaun the Sheep movie, I would find it like... Because Shaun the Sheep is basically... I don't want to like 
overhype it too much because I also don't, I'm not as big on this movie as a lot of people are. But I think the best way to compare it to, because it's not really a silent movie. So if anything, mm-hmm. it's like Ardman doing playtime. Um, where it's like, it's basically a silent movie, but there's a lot of funny sound effects during it yeah. that's going to add to the humor, you know? And I think that's what Playtime is. Such. Um, also, yeah, should you should really Shaun watch Shaun the Sheep. Sheep. Like, it is I such should a watch Shaun the Sheep. Um, not the sequel. Not the, the sequel's fine. Mm-hmm. The original, though, is like, yeah, good. Like, very good. And prob- prob- I think it's, it's 2015, mm-hmm. so that's the last Ardman movie I ever um, loved. I just remember... You know, Armin, the Wallace and Gromit, the one, Chicken Runs the Knife movie, so the next one's going to be the, if it's a Wallace and Gromit movie, I don't know if they've said it's a movie or a short, but that'll be, I believe, their temp feature if it is a movie. And it's really funny, because it's like, you know, Armin can either give you, like, some, it, something really great, or, like, something, like, really good, or they can just, like, be like, we're dedicating five years of our production time to this comedy about cavemen mm-hmm. playing soccer, and it's like... <laughs> I hate everything. I hate, I hate their priorities here. Because <laughs> the soccer movie ain't good. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Ardman, you're making it really hard for me to root for you that you, you, you think this is worth your commitment. They, I mean, they are baffling. I, that's what I mean is we could do a whole other podcast and we bring people on and they'd be like, yeah, I mean, after, after Curse of the Were-Rabbit, I kind of like stopped paying attention. Get like a professional soccer nut for that movie and be like, look, we don't know what to talk about with this one. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't actually know it existed until I was kind of reading and prep for this episode. So I, I, I remember I saw it in college with Caleb, friend of the podcast, Caleb. And I remember, uh, let me find his letterbox review because his letterbox review made me laugh so hard. I remember because um, it was like I logged it late because I think my computer was out of. um. Mm-hmm commission at the time where is this review does he get rid of get rid of it he might have deleted it so oh yeah, yeah. with an hour of yeah yeah half star from caleb within an hour leaving the theater i'd forgotten i'd seen this movie but i only remember just remember now because a friend which is me <laughs> just posted the review <laughs> it's like dang like you know that's about as hard as you can get on yeah. a movie is like oh yeah this is something i saw because it really is just like, what? When you're watching a movie, like how... And that, I want to point out to listeners, this is a movie called Early Man. This is probably, I think, one of their most stacked... Ca- well, Flushed Away is like their most stacked cast. But the leads of this movie is Eddie Redmayne and Tom Hiddleston. So it's like, in 2018, it's like, this is a, these were big actors. You know? And it's like, here they are doing an Aardman movie where it's like, just yeah, came in well, playing soccer. <laughs> That's the movie. After I've seen Onward, I don't know if Tom Hiddleston is like the magic secret sauce to make a movie great, you know? Hey, hey guys, 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 let's, let's point and laugh at Mark. Cause he just, Tom the top <laughs> all right. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston is low key. Yeah. Tom I mean, Holland they, need to, they need to put a stop to that. If I'm confusing them. Well, Tom Hardy and Tom Hanks. I would never. I couldn't confuse Tom Hardy and Tom Hanks. That's how you can't. Mm. But I'm just saying they're all Tom, Tom H. H. The film. I think what also is interesting about this movie and looking at Ardman is like you know when I think of Ardman, I think of Wallace and Gromit. I think of Wallace and Gromit. I think of like their machines. And so you're watching this movie and it's just like, all right, well this is fun. This is chicken. And all of a sudden this steampunk abomination of a pie making shows up and it's like oh okay this is what this yeah, is Wallace and Gromit yeah. you know like it's something where I feel like in a way I was at a point I was like expecting because you know I was thinking about you know how it, well it's about this because in Armin all their faces look the same like no matter what they're all they have the same eyes the same like mouth mm-hmm. type of thing that's just how Armin rolls um and I was like, you know, if this was, like, if they didn't have, like, protective custody in a way of, like, how they want Wallace and Gromit to be seen, because Wallace and Gromit popped up me, I feel like if this was, like, Pixar at this time, and, like, Wallace and Gromit just popped up in a short film, they would have d- pulled, like, you know, how um, Jerry pops up in Toy Story 2. Imagine if it was Wallace selling the pie machine. <laughs> but it's like, Wallace couldn't do that. Wallace, Wallace could not aid in killing yeah. up those chickens. I think it's also interesting because, you know, the plot of Curse of the Rare Rabbit is about how he wants to make humane bunny catching and not just shooting bunnies from eating mm-hmm. vegetables, as he always says. Um, <laughs> he doesn't say, like, Yogi Bear, but he does say vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's interesting that you that you hit on that as a trademark of Ardman. It's kind of like Hayao Miyazaki with his, like, goop villains, you know? It's like, it's always going to be that. And I didn't even think about it, but it is like... 
no matter who does all the steampunky things, you always know. And I mean, it, even it's kind of a. I think even the even the soccer movie has it because it's like they go to a higher civilization that's like Roman, but it's like they still got like crazy things that like open their co- like giant mm. doors that like spin and, and I love open, it. You know, I guess like I know. I don't know if this is how they think about it, but it seems to me like it's especially special because they're using claymation and it's not like Coraline where everything looks a little bit like jagged but when you have the machine in the claymation world you clearly show what is unnatural versus what is you know like a living being or something like that exactly and it's like you always feel like and I don't want to give them credit because I don't know how they make it but I feel like always when those machines are moving they just built a machine that's actually moving in real time and then they're finding a way to have the claymation yeah. characters move with it. Now, that might not be true. They might just be, like, have a very precise style, which is very possible, too. Regardless, though, since it looks like that, it's like, either they're doing this cool technique that I imagine is hard, or they're doing the, their other technique incredibly well, that it looks like they're doing this other technique really well. So no matter what, they're putting a lot of effort yeah. into this I thing. Don't, that I, don't, really I don't know how they right? did so much of what happens in this movie. I think it's helpful for me to remember that this came out in 2000, which is like post matrix so kind of anything's possible but like how do they but how do they the get movie, the fire in the oven but that's it was, amazing i mean but also it started in 1998 you know and they were they wrapped in 1999 which feels like it's weird they yeah. don't the movie for so long but whatever so it was like a year and a half of shooting the movie which mm-hmm. is you know it's yeah I mean, I don't actually, actually, that's a really short amount of time for what I think yeah. of for like it took a stop motion movie, Park you know, six years to make the original Wallace and Gromit short, but then Arvin kind of became this powerhouse, which they still kind of are like, you know, Disney just contracted them for that mm-hmm. Star Wars show they have. So they still get like very big stuff. Um, and you know, Arvin, we, we, we talk, keep talking about them. It's like, I think it really is like. You know, outside of Disney and DreamWorks, which are, like, big conglomerates, it's, like... And Pixar now, too, is part of the conglomerate, but I'd say, like, when they first started, they were just Pixar, you know? They were, like, these new guys on the lot. I feel like Ardman is kind of there, and I feel like Don Bluth might be there, too. I'm trying to think of, like, the smaller animation. You know what I mean? I think Ardman's there. Leica's there now, but I actually think Ardman is... Been... The fact that Ardman's been around for so long is so, like, cool, and there's still Ardman. Yeah. That's all I I don't know like. if Don Bluth... He's kind of, like, old... Older news... I no, guess it's more great. like it's just you know he's part of. I feel like it's Don Bluth. It's Don Bluth. Well, I'm not even saying that. I'm like Ardman is so interesting because Ardman is a contemporary of Don Bluth. Ardman's a contemporary of Pixar. Ardman's a contemporary now of Leica, and yet they always feel like they're that small studio that occasionally puts out something, and it's usually worth watching. Although recently, sometimes it's like you should mm. put it on mute, maybe. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like the, the soccer movie. It's like why, why. Like, why did you do this? Yeah. Why did you put this out against Black Panther? Uh, I, um, did you notice that this was written by Kerry Kirkpatrick that I think we've talked about because he wrote James and the Giant Peach? And uh, he's a really interesting, he's just an interesting guy. guy. He's a guy who, um, yeah, he's got so many cool credits. Uh, he, he started James and the Giant Peach, and then his only credit before Chicken One, besides that, is the direct to video mm-hmm. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids 3. And then he directed, and this is so interesting to me, I actually had assumed he directed more than just this. Oh, no, no, he's directed three movies. He directed Over the Hedge, um, Imagine That, which is a live-action Eddie Murphy comedy that's whatever. Um, and then he directed, it looks like, Smallfoot, which is the movie I remember recently he did. And maybe he... No, okay, it says he only wrote the... He translated Secret World of Ariadne and From Up on Poppy There's Hill. There's been a big kind of misunderstanding. That's the tagline for Smallfoot. Anyway. Uh, the, no. <laughs> have I ever told my story about Smallfoot? Uh, it's not really that good of a story. Um, it's not even a story. It's just my coworker once called it. Um, I think it was like I had one of the songs on my kids' playlist that, and it just popped up. And they just go, oh, this is from that what? woke Yeti movie, right? And I go, yeah, now I'm only going to call it the woke, now I'm only going to call it that woke? woke Yeti movie. Because there's another Yeti movie that came, well, because there's another Yeti movie called Abominable, which is just like a boring kids movie. But then Smallfoot's like woke, because the plot of Smallfoot is like, basically it's one of those things where it's like, oh, the humans are, it's, you know, Monsters Inc. It's like the, 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 the Yeti are like, the humans are going to kill us. And the humans are obviously like, the Yeti are going to kill us. But... 
it weirdly is also about like questioning religion where it's like our religion says we cannot mm. look at the small feet people otherwise we will fall apart and like Kalman has like this villain song where he's like you need to let it lie and not question religion and like the opening song of it is Chan Tatum going like if you have a question about the scientific method, throw it away because questions are dumb. Never question the world. Huh. It's so weird. So it is like a whole Getty movie where it's like the, the plot of the movie is like, you should question religion and the world around you. Do not take what adults say to you at face value. They might be lying to you wow. just to keep their worldview intact. And it's like, okay. <laughs> like, very interesting message mm-hmm. to put in this Woke Getty movie. Okay. But yeah. I feel like the most people you know the Woke Yeti movie. Oh, from that's what Beach, that is. So. Okay, I yeah yeah. is <laughs> Vici. Oh, all right. Andres is Guanqui. Danny DeVito is Thorgal. And Zendaya's Vici. Danny, can I ask you some wrap-up questions? Yes. You know oh, this why movie is those problematic? problematic? I gotta say. Why is it? Okay, never. Mind. I don't have to say it. Uh, Justin Roiland is in oh, it. Oh, the Woke Yeti movie, I didn't you mean? Realize. Yes, yes. And then also, um, I think I might have mentioned, I, I alluded to this earlier, the guy who made that video got canceled. Like, the Zendaya oh. Michi meme, he's canceled. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Problematic okay. guy. Make sure anyway. you don't cancel Danny for mentioning the Woke Yeti movie. Um, Danny. Yes. Well, the Woke Yeti movie itself isn't that, like, Chain Team's mm-hmm. iconic. We love that guy. Oh. Knock on wood. Please don't cancel Jamie. Remember, remember that time I said something? It's like John Hamm. We all love John Hamm. And like the next day, I was like, John Hamm was part of Hazen's oh. scandals in college. I mean, <laughs> I, I, like, I can't even remember all of that. Um, what? So, are you thankful for Tilda Swinton? What else are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? I'm thankful to look for the ocean of Pixar Journey. I'm thankful to look for the ocean of Pixar Journey too. What's your uh, favorite Thanksgiving food? All right, we, I was actually talking about this with my uh, girlfriend. Uh, because she's not a fan of either of them, uh, <laughs> but that's fine. It's fine. It's a uh, very Midwest stuff. It is um orange Jello salad, which apparently is called ambrosia salad, but I've googled ambrosia mm. salad and looks nothing like the stuff I make. Um, but my other one that is actually my go-to favorite, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, whenever, whenever I make it, I make so much because I want to bring it home with me, and that's that green bean casserole mm-hmm. with the French onions on top. You know, uh, I love that stuff I... so much. I just. I tried to make that one time, and it was awful. Like, I don't don't know what I did wrong. I know how to make it. Like, because I've had it, and I like it, but I don't know what secret I missed. It was, I don't know, it's just just funny, because, I mean, that would normally be my answer, and then I made it myself, just because I, like, I saw green beans one day, and I was like, let's go for it. And I don't know, there's some trick to it. I think my answer is mashed potatoes. They're always great. And I think that the gravy on Thanksgiving is super special. So <laughs> okay, thank you. Because I feel like you go like, "Gosh, this is my favorite." No, one. no, no. It's just the food. Well, no, it's like, like, you know, it's like... Especially, they, they do something different on Thanksgiving, and then and then you have that's that's the time when people spend the most time on the gravy for the mashed potatoes. So that's why they're special. Um. All right. Looking for the ocean. Yes. Wait. What are you thankful? You what else? I'm. Wait. Wait. I, that's what I was about to do. Something like I, movie something. I, I, I just said it weird because oh, I dropped. I thought you were like, the, I'm looking for the ocean and fix it. On the but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but wait, wait, wait. wait. I, I'm also thankful that Armin found the clay. I'm thankful that Coyote versus Acme got uncanceled. <laughs> Let me keep scrolling up for the document to see what we talked about in recent weeks. Uh, I'm thankful that. Erica Milsom apparently has a better mm-hmm. short we'll get to eventually. I'm thankful that we did a Femtober episode. I'm thankful that uh, there's a new Scott Pilgrim show I want to watch with Kieran Culkin on it, who's an actor from Succession that Mark yes. said should play Steve Jobs. And I'm thankful we came back from hiatus, because I'm not going to keep reading about this stuff before Yeah, hiatus. I'm thankful we're back from hiatus. <laughs> I'm thankful we got to do Femtober. Uh, here anyway. on Looking for the Ocean, anyway. you know, a lot of shows like to give films <laughs> things like star ratings or thumbs up or things like that. But we actually like to give the film a physical object, like a gift, that represents how we feel about it. And I think I love this film... I would like to give it, you know, they say they don't like gravy, but, you know, who doesn't like a pie? I'm going to give it maybe, now that I think about it, what might be my actual favorite 
like Thanksgiving food is a chocolate custard cake and a chocolate custard pie. I want to give that to them. It'll be a nice uh, vegetarian thing for the chickens to enjoy. All right, so this is... um, I'm actually going to give it something very serious, which is that I think bullet wolves are a joke of a ceremony. Uh, I but I, Big what? swing there. Well, the Golden Globes are a joke of a ceremony, but I do think they've done one thing very cool once that I actually thought they'd done more often. Uh, maybe I could quickly check to see if they did it in 2001, but I don't believe they did. But they once during the... Um, yeah, in 1992, they gave a special award to Rob Williams for his work at the Genie in Aladdin. And I think what I was confused by is that they rather brilliantly... Uh, Wait, was it not here? I thought they nominated... Oh, no, it was BAFTA. BAFTA nominated Eddie Murphy in Best Supporting Actor for Shrek, which is one of the all-time great nominations <laughs> from BAFTA. Is like, Best Supporting Actor, Eddie Murphy in Shrek. Nominated, not a win, but good not... Like, I, like, I can't be mad at it. Like, even if I'm not like a big Shrek fan anymore, I'm like, yeah, give Eddie Murphy a nomination for Shrek. That's cool. Uh, I, I swore they gave an award... Someone gave an award to Ellen DeGeneres honor, like, for... Dor Nemo, but I can't remember. But anyway, I think it was really cool they did that in the nineties. I wish they did a regular thing of it, like when there was an exemplary animated perfor voice performance to give like mm. a special Golden Globe for it. I think that'd be something that'd be you know, especially at the time, you know, when Golden Globes would give like Best Picture to like I don't know if Aladdin won Best Picture, but like Toy Story Two won Best Picture. You know, like anime movies uh -huh. would win Best Picture at the Golden Globes. <coughs> and ergo, I think it was cool they give awards to like voice performances. All that to say, I'd like to give Julia Swalahala. Ooh, I probably butchered her name again. A special Golden Globe for her performance in, as Ginger in Chicken Run. I think she's... This is, like, very much a snub club thing for me to be like, here's the award, like, an actual award I gave it. But I think she should have got more recognition for her voice performance here. Because it really is, like... In a movie full of, like, a good voice cast, she still stands out head and beyond, like, such a strong character that's rooted in the voice because of yeah. how Ardman works. You know? I just find it such a brilliant voice performance, and I wish she got more credit for it. Because I'm even looking through, like, the awards it got. It doesn't look like she got a single nomination. Like, maybe the Annie's didn't have a voice actor performance award at the time. But I don't know. I feel like she should have got a lot yeah. of acknowledgement. Oh! Also, thank you, Roger Ebert, for mentioning something I forgot to mention. I'll just bring it briefly, because I've mentioned it a lot on a previous episode this year. But watching this reminded me not only of um, Wallace and Gromit, but also reminded me a lot of me mm. revisiting Babe earlier this year. Mm. But Babe is also a much stronger mm. film than this. Well, but Babe is a brilliant. I haven't watched Babe, Babe in a so long special. time, but I... I love, I love Babe. I was watching <laughs> Babe earlier this year, and I just cried so much. I was like, the Babe, that'll do, yeah. pick, that'll do. Anyway, Babe is a magical film. Babe Two is also magical. Um, in its own way, mm -hmm. but I think Babe One is. Oh, I love Babe. I love Babe. We should watch the Babe. Peggy did it. One anyway. of these days. Um, I revisited earlier yeah. this year, but maybe maybe down the road we can revisit Babe. I can. I will gladly watch Babe again. Babe is so yeah. good. So well, I don't care. anyway, no. Danny, what are we doing next time? Great question, mm. Marky Mark and the Funky Munch. All right, next time we are going to take a long overdue. Storm! Because... I say long overdue, because I have this habit where I check out DVDs from the library, even if I'm going to just, you know, watch the movie on Disney+, Plus, which I am going to do with this. And this DVD is like, I believe, been renewed 13 times because of the hiatus and how this was so ready to, like, go right after hiatus. And then we weren't going to hiatus, you know what I mean? Originally, we weren't going to hiatus. We are going to watch this pretty soon, and we didn't. And that is... We're going to talk about Planes 2, Fire and Rescue, which is going to be really funny because we were so, when our planes up, we were like, we're ready to talk about Planes now. We're going to talk about Planes 2 so soon. Or we'll just we'll get these planes out of the way. Now it's been like four months since we watched Planes 1. Well, so it's going to be like, ah, yes, Planes 2. Our, a Dusty Croft Hopper is back. I can't wait to compare this to the original yeah. that I don't remember anything about. Uh, but yes, we're going to talk about Planes, All right. Fire, and Rescue. <clears throat> Uh, All right. Episode. Yep. Uh, Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. The show is edited by <laughs> Julius Jefferson. All right. I'm sure that's how Julius wants to be credited. We got to thank him. Thanks, Julius, yeah. for editing this episode. Thank you, Tim. Our original artwork was designed by Sarah Knopf. Thank you, Sarah. You can follow us on social media at 
Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and Twitter at Pixar Journey. And on our website, looking for the ocean, You can follow me on markyoungperformer.com. That has my socials. <laughs> uh, get uh, early bird tickets are on sale now for my show that I'm in Dunsinane in December. So get the tickets. It's They're selling out. Uh, I think day one is already sold out. So there are more days. Get more of those. You can follow me, Danny Vincent, at Blankmints on, on Letterboxd, where you can hear all my takes on all the movies. You can listen to my other podcast, The Snub Club, where we talk about the films that are the most Oscar nominations, but no wins whatsoever. Finally, if you're in Bedford, Indiana, or find yourself in the Bedford, Indiana area, the metropolitan Bedford, Indiana, that's a joke, because Bedford, Indiana is not, it's like a suburb of Indianapolis, it's not, the, it's not even near Indianapolis, honestly, it's more by Bloomington, but anyway, if you're in this area, and you know this area, and you're like, Oh, gee, Willikers, I wish I could go see a Christmas play by Danny Vincent. Well, there will be a Christmas play by Danny Vincent called How Alex Got Her Wings. It's a wonderful life, or is it? You'll find out if you find out how Alex got her wings. In theatres, December 15th. Um, <laughs> in a theatre, not in theatres. We'll see you next time. <laughs>